listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? Uh, man, I'm excited for today. Yeah, I, it's not often that we get to talk to somebody as experienced in this realm around the ABX and ABM side of things um, and really advanced in how they're thinking about their customer's journey. Like it just doesn't happen that much. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And, the, you know, and there's, you know, it, 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 it's uh, damn cliche at this point for people to talk about, oh, well, you know, the, so much of the journey is happening before you find out about it or before the, somebody reaches out to sales. Um, uh, and they kind of do that as a way of encouraging people to, um, you know, lean into more digital tools or what have you. But it kind of like it stops there, you know. And, and then there's like a smaller sliver of more advanced marketers, in my view, that are looking at this uh, more anonymous uh, customer journey and finding ways to understand it and impact it. So I am stoked for today's guest. Yeah, no, me as well. So joining us today is Jessica Woodside. Jessica, Jessica is the Director of Marketing for the U.S. at WICA. Welcome to the Cooler Ring, Jessica. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, Jessica, it's awesome to have you on the show. Um, uh, let's, let's learn a bit more about uh, you and WICA USA, if you would. Yeah. Um, so I've been working in marketing now for around 14 years. Most of my background prior to working with WICO was actually in B2C. Um, I was in franchised restaurants, both on the franchisee side and the franchisor side. Uh, and at one point was participating in a mentorship program. And my mentor was maybe a bit jaded. Uh, but he said, you've got to get out of restaurants and you've got to diversify your industry experience because you'll get to the point where people think that's all you can do. And we all know that marketing is marketing is marketing, regardless of what industry you're in. But he was absolutely right that you can get pigeonholed. Um, so I made the shift over to B2B, um, specifically with WICA about five and a half years ago. And it's been really fun marrying kind of the experiences that I had on the B2C side with learning about so many industries and products that, I mean, some I didn't even know existed before I started working at WICA. So that's been a challenge, but in a really fun way. I must say, I think that almost every manufacturing marketer I've ever spoken to has uttered the words, you know, there's parts of this that I didn't even know existed before I did this job. Exactly. Like, for example, I had no idea that power companies use sulfur hexafluoride as an insulator and that it needs to be monitored and dehydrated. But now I do. And we have an entire division that just provides products and services for that. So... This is why we're all so fun at parties, because we have that knowledge. Yeah, everybody wants to hang out with us, right? No. <laughs> they, they just have no idea. They think we should want, want to work for Apple and Nike. No, man. Like, <laughs> exactly. Complex is where it's at. I yeah. mean, you know, I will say, especially with all of the craziness of the last few years, it's been nice working for a company that provides something that is necessary to the infrastructure of so many industries. It, it definitely provides a little bit of job security. I think that's a, that's a great point. And um, it's, it's one thing I wish um, 
uh, more marketers would think about, frankly, when they consider maybe uh, uh, B2B manufacturing versus other marketing alternatives is that sometimes um, uh, there seems to be some economic categories where it seems like you're, um, you're marketing fluff a bit more, I suppose. And maybe I'm biased. <laughs> maybe a little. Maybe a little. Uh, Jessica, look, let's, uh, let's jump into this because I want to understand what you're doing to understand a more anonymous customer journey. I think so many marketers were experiencing that and some haven't put words to it yet um, to really think about what it means to move a target account from being genuinely unaware through to problem aware, solution aware, brand aware, et cetera. Uh, uh, And uh, so I guess talk to me about um, uh, that path at Waika and, and, and kind of what you observed when first joining and what you're trying to kind of f- figure out. Yeah. Um, so like I said, I joined Waika about five and a half years ago and we had already been in some of our market segments moving towards a more account-based marketing and sales approach, um, and seeing success in those, in those particular segments. Um, Our mobile machine segment is a great example um, where, you know, we had a very laser focused strategy. We knew what accounts we were going after. We knew what products we had for those markets. And we were seeing continuous revenue growth year over year when marketing and sales and our market segment or our strategy leader were all aligned, right? So... 2019, we were already kind of, you know, hey, this is working in some markets. We want to expand it to others. We had realized we wanted to start working with an account-based marketing vendor to give us a little bit more insight into what was happening on our website. And then, of course, we all know what happened in 2020. So (laughs) prior to the pandemic, even though we were making or starting to kind of dip our toe in and make this shift to thinking a little bit more strategically about our marketing approach, we were still exhibiting at like 50 plus trade shows a year. And that was our primary method of lead generation. That was the primary method of lead generation that we were tracking. We had we had forms on our website, but we weren't really tracking them. We also had a lot of direct links to our info at wika.com email on our website, which meant that once somebody clicked on that, we had no idea whether they came to us through the site or not. So, uh, you know, we were we were definitely in our infancy and COVID really threw us into the deep end. Um, and we suddenly had a lot more time on our hands because we weren't exhibiting at 50 plus trade shows in a year. And we had to figure out how to continue to fill the funnel without that that primary method, right? So we started a couple of new vendor relationships. Uh, one with Interlinks, who is, uh, I describe them as an external CRM. They give us uh, visibility into what happens to inbound leads once we send them out to our distribution channel. Um, like a lot of manufacturing companies, a pretty strong percentage of our business in the U.S. does go through our channel, right? And then we also started working with Demandbase. And the big things that they did for us, of course, were de-anonymizing traffic on our website on the account level, which obviously gave us insight into what our target accounts were doing. It also gave us insight into what accounts were interested in us that we had no idea were interested in us, which in some markets, there were a lot of really kind of cool surprises there. 
um, we started tracking all inbound leads on all of our forms on our website, where in the past we were really only tracking forms from our distributor locator. We redesigned our website and that was just already scheduled to happen. Um, but we, we went to a new content management system and with the redesign, removed most of those direct links to our email address, forcing people to fill out forms. So we actually know where these inbound leads are coming from now, right? So made a lot of, took a step back, made a lot of process changes internally, including some of those, and then started looking at our strategy. And um, we go to market in so many different markets that, and I think a lot of manufacturing marketers face this, that we have different product lines that apply to this market over here, but don't apply at all to that market over there. So we aligned with our sales team and our market segment team to build out target account lists for each of our market segments. Some of them were a little more mature and knew exactly who they were looking for. Some of them are new markets to us and we were using some of the insights from demand base to build up those account lists. So we went from, hey, we know we wanna target like maybe these five accounts. And then we started learning about who was showing intent and who was showing interest in this already and are able to build the account lists a little bit uh, more. So I know I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a really good deep dive, though. It kinda, I think it, it did help set the table. I was like, yeah. I'm, I'm soaking this up. But I, I want to uh, uh, pick on that lead attribution uh, yeah. comment just a little mm -hmm. bit because I, I feel like there's something that happens in the marketing maturity path for a number of manufacturing organizations and indeed manufacturing marketers mm -hmm. and that you go from a point of view of not being able to uh, have not knowing where the heck a, a lead comes from to building out an infrastructure which uh, which enables a level of lead attribution and then all of a sudden you start turning your attention higher up in the awareness funnel mm -hmm where that attribution often gets fuzzier again. Yeah. And I feel like sometimes it, you start doing that just at the time that you've been beating the drum for X number of months or years on the lead attribution angle. So as a marketer, sometimes it feels like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth, even though you know you're not. Um, I guess, how is the organization, how have you navigated that? That's a really good question. Um, so when it comes to attribution, our primary focus was that I knew deep in my soul that people were coming to our website, clicking on that link and sending direct emails to us. We had hundreds of direct emails coming to that email address every day. And I knew that a percentage of them, maybe even a big percentage, were coming directly from the website. So I do want to be able to I mean, take credit, I guess is the right way to say that. I do want to be able to take credit for the fact that this person converted on our website. But further back in the funnel, I'm not so worried about what tactic or tactics actually brought them there, right? Because like you were, like we were saying, the, the customer journey is usually anonymous up until the point where you're in their final consideration set or even until the point where they're ready to buy, depending on what the product or service is, right? So if 
you know, Carmen, if you saw one of my digital display ads, and then maybe you also saw an organic post on LinkedIn, or you searched for industrial pressure gauges, and we popped up in organic results or in our Google ads or, or whatever, you're probably interacting with us through multiple tactics before you raise your hand and say, hey, I'm Carmen, I want five gauges. Um, and, and I'm just not worried about, you know, exactly which tactics you touched before you actually converted on my site. Mm. Um, that's but Jessica, I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah. I, I like this, but. <laughs> think... <laughs> of course there's a but. Well, I think that there's a number of um, uh, people that operate uh, through a bit of uh, a, 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 frame, a mental framework that says we're going to be able to measure the effectiveness of a wide variety of these marketing executions so that we can decide where we're going to double down Absolutely. and what we're going to do more of and what we're going to do uh, less of. So do you think that there's a level of scale here where it matters less. Like, you know, you're getting hundreds of emails to the info ad account daily. You know, if you're, if you're getting a hundred contact us conversions in a four month period for a lot of manufacturers, that's a lot, you know? So yeah. is, is it the case that it matters less because you are very successful at converting people? And, and it's purely a scale related thing, or is it just that, you know, it really doesn't matter to focus on a particular type of content because it seemed to perform better. Or alternatively, I was going to just simply say, are we just measuring the success of those awareness pieces differently and just not having lead attribution is one of the ways we measure those, those successes. Um, those are so many great questions. So all at once, this is all what we get from giving us that deep introduction is now we're going to, ah. we're dishing it back. I still have another one. I'm going to go back to. So that's, <laughs> that's where I think a couple of things come into play first. Um, you know, prior to the, the last few years, the vast majority of our marketing budget was going towards executing live events. Um, we have really worked to diversify our spend. I don't love putting all of your eggs in one or two tactic baskets, right? That's where I want to spend a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit here, so that there's not one tactic that's the majority of your spend. Two, um, we have spent a lot of time working on looking at metrics benchmarking and looking at what leading indicator metrics we can track from each tactic that aren't vanity metrics. Um, you know, one of the best examples is, and then when we talk about tactic, tactic attribution, Google ads actually does do a great job with their conversion tracking because they want to take credit for all of your conversions, right? But with Google ads, we've shifted from looking at click volume and click through rate and started looking at engagement rate on our site from people who came to us through ads and at conversion tracking. We made sure that our conversion tracking was as robust as possible and we were tracking all form fills, all shop purchases, all of those things that could be attributed to Google ads. But then we're also looking at, okay, once somebody clicks on a Google ad, if they leave immediately, that's a waste of our money, right? But if you click on an ad and you have a meaningful engagement with our website, 
even if you don't fill out a form right then, you know, you're that much closer. We're helping to, to speed up the velocity of our pipeline at that point. So it's, it's finding those metrics that actually tell a story and aren't just, you know, oh, we had this many impressions. Great. What did it actually do? Oh, we had this many clicks, but then they all left the website. Well, then that doesn't really do anything for you, right? So it's, it's a combination of conversion tracking where we can and then reporting out on metrics on the leading side that actually do tell a story. Jeff, this is the part where I wait for you to ask that second question. So. <laughs> Make sure you, if uh, you didn't have a follow up on that, but I, I, I do want to go back to one thing that you, you mentioned um, yeah. as we're going through that kind of pre, um, pre redesign and pre implementation of some of this technology. You, you talked mm -hmm. about how, you know, you never used to forward on any leads to distributors that didn't kind of come through that dealer finder. You know, it's kind of like ignored not necessarily true but our internal process was clunky we'll just right. put it that way so we have cleaned up the process and made it smoother so it's easier easier for us to get more leads out to our channel right okay yeah i i think what i was interested in there is just you know because this does kind of point towards where you're going now mm -hmm. where you can begin to understand people who aren't necessarily at that sales ready phase, like, hey, tell me where the closest distributor is to my location, mm -hmm. kind of thing. Like that is a very obvious sign of being ready to buy. Right. And if you were to forward the other things that are certainly further back or, or you know, other information you're finding out about who's visiting your website, um, you know, they, they wouldn't know what to do with it. So it, it's it's interesting kind of how you've chosen to yeah, you know, how you were doing that and then how you've kind of evolved that process as well. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, we're at a point now where, you know, like I said, we, we spent a lot of time building foundational um, target account lists with our market segment folks. We, we work really hard to be aligned with our strategy leaders on the market segment side and with our sales leadership, because if you're not aligned with sales, what good is what you're doing actually going to come to, right? <laughs> like if everybody's not rowing in the same direction, how is that really going to help you? Um, but one of the things that we're looking at now and that demand base also enables us to do, which I really should be on their payroll, I feel like at this point, um, is they give us the ability to build out digital display campaigns based on journey stage. So that's our next evolution is that we're looking at journey stages and we're saying, okay, these accounts that aren't aware of us at all, let's just deliver them some of our thought leadership content. Um, you know, we have a huge content library. If you've checked out our site, you know, it's a giant website. We've got something like between four and 500 blog posts that, you know, pretty much all of them are still relevant. Um, so like, let's deliver them some thought leadership content and establish ourselves as thought leaders when it comes to how do you choose a pressure gauge or how do you do this or how do you do that? Um, you know, people who are a little people or accounts who are a little further down the funnel will serve them some some more specific content all the way down to that point like you're talking about when they're showing all of the signs, they're showing all the intent signs that they're ready to buy or they're ready to contact us. Let's start delivering them ads that push them to either our distributor locator or our contact forms. So that's that's kind of the next step in in that account-based experience evolution. Wondering as you've um, 
began to understand more of what that customer journey, uh, the kind of the dark part of the funnel, as you start to shine a bit of a light on it. Um, what have been some of the bigger surprises? I think you had mentioned you were surprised at just some of the companies that were showing up at the at the site that already were displaying interest. I'm curious if there's been any other aha moments along that path. Yeah, um, I think that's that's a really good first example is, you know, in markets where we maybe haven't traditionally focused or we're starting to focus more, we started, you know, started seeing like, oh, all of these these heavy hitters in these in these markets are already on our website and already engaging with our content. We just need to point them in the direction of where we want them to go. We just need to point them in the direction of the products that are more applicable to their market, right? Um, I think the other, the other thing that has been interesting for us has been the sales insights that we get from that de-anonymization, that our sales team is able to use those insights to both um, inform their conversations and to validate their conversations, right? So if, you know, a salesperson has a meeting with a target account that they're maybe trying to cross sell, and then the next week they get their reporting that, you know, shows them what their target accounts have been up to, and they can say, oh, that account who I met with last week is looking at the products that I was talking to them about. That's great. That means that you know, it's landing, they're interested, you know, and I know how to move forward from here. Where in the past, you know, yeah, you'd have a great conversation, but you really have no idea afterwards whether that actually landed, or at least not immediately afterwards. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I'm curious too, um, as you've uh, looked at, uh, as you begin to explore um, really uh, customized uh, advertising by journey stage, et cetera. To what extent are you integrating kind of those offline touch points into that? So we're we're working on that. Um, you know, we had talked about the other day that we have started doing live events again, and you know, we we have we're approaching, um, you know, live events and shows a little bit differently. We're being a little more selective about where we actually exhibit, and when we do exhibit. Our, our schedule is not just an in-booth schedule anymore. We also have a schedule for walking the show. And our salespeople will go into a show knowing, they'll look at the floor map and say, all right, I want to make sure that I hit you know these this, 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 and this target. Because ultimately, especially as, as a components provider or a service provider, a lot of the, the target accounts that you're trying to reach at a trade show are also exhibiting at the trade show. So the people that you want to be talking to may well be in their booth and not walking around looking for you. So that's, you know, that's one way that we've, we've tried to, um, you know, kind of evolve our approach. We're also experimenting with different types of more intimate events. Um, I, I, I know I told you all the other day and I still fully stand by this. There is nothing I hate more than standing in a trade show booth and just waiting to see who shows up. I hate it. It, it feels pointless to me, especially when your strategy is so focused on these are our targets. This is where we're trying to go. Why, why does that make sense? Yeah, that's more like watching me play pool than actually calling the shot. <laughs> exactly, exactly. 
<laughs> you know she's, exactly what I mean. Jessica hasn't even seen you play pool, and she no. knows you suck by that comment alone. <laughs> so. Oh, yeah, no, I'm fully aware of exactly yeah. what I'm dealing with. And I am terrible, but I am confident I could beat you now. <laughs> <laughs> You're on. I don't know what trade show we'll meet at, but there's going to be one. <laughs> if I'm there, you know. <laughs> no, but your, your, your comment is quite uh, well taken. It's a... It, in a time when there's so much of the uh, that marketing enables us to kind of uh, 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 push towards our target accounts in a more aggressive way, standing there at a, at a trade show booth and waiting for them to drop by seems decidedly passive by, by comparison. The antithesis, yeah. How, how are you? Uh, I, I love the idea of being more active about that and, you know, a bit more of an offensive play than a defensive one. What are you arming the sales team with as they stroll the, you know, the halls of the trade show booth floor with their target account list in hand? And how are they reporting back on it and leveraging that later? That is a great question. Um, so we do work with, we have so many vendors. Um, we do work with a lead retrieval vendor and it is app-based. So we have a, a set of iPad minis that we send to every trade show, but a lot of our sales team just prefers to download the app on their personal device. And then even when they're out walking the show, they can very easily scan people's badges right then and there. And for every show, we work with the show champion on, okay, what content do we want to make available? And we have a whole content library for each show, whether it's linked to blog posts or data sheets or brochures or landing pages or videos so that as you know you're having your conversation out on the show floor and you say oh actually we have a really great video about that i'll make sure i send it to you and you can scan their badge say i want to send them this 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 and this and they'll get an email almost immediately and then they'll also be added obviously to our generated leads list that we then follow up with after the show a great way to get buy-in to be up to have permission to contact them. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you wanna make it seamless, right? And and selfishly, I don't want them to come back to me with a stack full of business cards or a handful of business cards because I don't wanna input them and I don't wanna pay somebody to input them. That's insane. I, uh, I wonder, I mean, I, I just love the, the, the progress that's been made. And I think for some people, they look at five and a half years and it seems like forever. And for others, it seems like they're just getting started. I'm really impressed with how much has been accomplished here uh, in, in that time. And I'm guessing as seamless as you make it sound that there has to have been at least one gut show along the way. So I'm just curious, Jessica, is there, if somebody else is heading down a, a similar path, are there any kind of uh, dark corners you can point out in advance? Is there anything that kind of tripped you up? Yeah. Um, I, I think the, the biggest piece of advice that I can give to anyone is to find the people in your organization who are already at least sort of bought in and start with them. Um, you're not going to convert the non-believers until <laughs> until you have some results, right? So I we definitely spent a little bit of time beating our head against that wall and then realized, hey, you know, these guys over here are already headed down this path. Let's help enable them. Let's let's work together hand in hand with the sales team or this person and and build out a strategy that proves to be effective. 
and that's once once you start that ball rolling then other people in the organization start paying attention and raising their hands and hey i i I want this this looks really cool how do i get to do this so that's that was probably the biggest learning is that if if people are too far from being convinced about a new strategy find the people who aren't too far and start with them i that's fantastic advice i'm reminded of um uh open space uh, facilitation uh, facilitator that i know and to call him just an open space facilitator is kind of uh, i think uh not giving the devil their due but one of the great pieces of advice he he always talks about is the the power of uh, living a life of invitation um, if you go where you're invited, if, if you know the the energy kind of matches up a little bit better, right? Um, and I, I, I've I've never really quite thought about it in the that way applied to uh, navigating the corporate uh, world until you just said that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's similar philosophy, right? Like find find the places where you know that you can get some quick successes and then make sure that you are shouting about those successes from the rooftops and other people will become interested. Jesse, I think it's been awesome to have you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your uh, uh, journey with us thus far. It's, it's been fantastic. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Really enjoyed having you on. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.